0: You're listening to the Effective Statistician Podcast, a weekly podcast with Alexander Schacht and Benjamin Peeske, designed to help you reach your potential, lead great science, and serve patients without becoming overwhelmed by work. Today I'm talking with Jenny Davenport about the role of publications and how you create really outstanding these in the launch and lifecycle space. So stay tuned and now some music. Jenny and I created the special interest group for people that are interested to help move forward the launch and lifecycle space. If you're interested in that or interested in one of the many other special interest groups that PSI and SPI have, then head over to PSIweb.org, where you will find all the different groups and how to connect. So, of course, for this group, Launch and Lifecycle, which is really about medical affairs, HDA, real world data, all these kind of different things, but with a really heavy emphasis on medical affairs, just connect with me, and then I can bring you onto this group. So, like this, There's a lot of further offerings at PSI. Head over to psiweb.org and then learn about the six and lots of the other things. Welcome to another episode of the Effective Statistician. And today I'm talking again with Jenny. How are you doing today, Jenny?
1: I'm doing great. How are you?
0: (laughs) Very good. It's a bright, sunny day, early May as we are recording this, and this kind of, yeah, bright, sunny day really kind of hopefully shed some light on uh, what we are discussing today, because it's a really, really important topic. We are talking about publications and the role of the statisticians today, and let's start a little bit with kind of, why actually publications? Why is it actually important? Jenny, what's your point on that?
1: When we were all still in university and in academia, we knew the importance of publications in terms of sharing scientific knowledge with our colleagues to encourage debate and to encourage progress in science. And in fact, when you move to industry, that is no less an important mission is to share with other scientists what you have done to help advance the field. Um, and of course, that peer review process adds some credibility to your work. And it also it enables kind of a number of functions work after that by having that scientific publication that they can cite. This is a really important part of sharing with the world what you have done and what you know so that people can move from there and can make decisions from there and can take next steps from there, whether it's deciding how to operate in their clinical practice to deciding what what potential medicines to investigate next?
0: I think it's also there to help with transparency so that there's nothing hidden and it's clear kind of what was actual done and what was planned and what was not done as planned because things have changed. I think that is really important. And through this publication process, we also build trust. We will trust with stakeholders externally. That is, that is really important. Um, and it's
1: interesting, that dialogue piece, my understanding, at least from some sources, is why journals began. To begin with, that in, in about 1685, somebody started a journal to get scientists to talk to each other. And and so I think this dialogue has continued for hundreds of years now and is still important today.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Initially, you know, publications were basically letters of scientists that their the results to each other and to, to get feedback and, and and comments on it. It's the same now. Once you have published something, other people can then use it for their research, for their meta-analysis, for their systematic literature review and all these kinds of different things. And so it's really important that the quality of the publication enables that. I find it so frustrating if I'm reading a publication and I think what's written in the stats part is actually not what's happening in the results part. Or when I'm reading it and I think like, was that pre-planned or was that post hoc? I'm not completely clear. It's also about good quality that drives this trust and transparency.
1: Absolutely. And that makes for a brilliant transition into kind of what role the statistician can have on a publication. Because as you said, what was done in a study is just not only what the patients or the subjects were subjected to. It's not just the intervention. It's also what you measured, how you measured it how you analyzed it and how you report it. And all of that is, is critical to science because of the ability to replicate it, because of the ability to believe it. And so this is where I think the statistician's role can start in a publication. Do you agree?
0: Completely agree. I think generally our function has a very high ethical standard. We don't want to twist things. We don't want to, you know, put things in, in the wrong light. We want to be really transparent. And that is one of our strengths as a function, which really helps a lot. So I've interacted with lots of key opinion leaders. And when I introduce myself as a statistician, they generally get trust me. as yeah, so kind of a very, very different trust level compared to other functions within our industry. I'm not no, naming them, but but you can probably imagine who these are. And we need to satisfy this trust. We need to act on this trust that we have there. Unfortunately, of course, there's also a head history where results weren't published, where there was selective publishing, where they things got put on things. I think that is there's a role we can play to make it really credible. And of course, also make sure that all the different publications are consistent. So that in clinicaltrials.gov, there's the same numbers than in your publication. And the numbers that you have in your publications are the same as in your label and things like that. I've seen where, where there's actually discrepancies there and that leads really to headaches. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, not just headaches, but, you know, going back to the original point, this is where you establish trust with the scientific community because you're very transparent about what you did, what you measured, what you learned. Mm -hmm. And when there's these inconsistencies between different sources of information, it can erode that trust. And so that is one of the responsibilities of the statistician that we take very seriously is to make sure that we explain very well what we've done what we've learned and what that means. It is both rewarding, trust building, and a lot of fun to work with the medics to show how the clinical conclusions are representative or consistent with what the statistical results are.
0: So let's talk a little bit about, if we talk about publications, it's not just the peer-reviewed paper that (laughs) ends up in hopefully a nice journal, but it's also all the other things that go around it so it can also be a, a oral presentation at a conference the corresponding abstracts the corresponding posters you know, the original ones or the on-call ones and very often these all come as a, as a bundle together so i think very often the process is that you first you know submit an abstract to a conference to hopefully get a oral presentation or potentially a poster Only over time, the the primary manuscript comes, and that consists maybe of, corresponds to a couple of these different abstracts and posters and presentations. And all of these needs to be kind of in line. So I think one of the, the first role of the statistician here is to understand all these different publications, publication types, and how they go along. What, if you think about, you know, uh, especially the secondary posters and abstracts, how do they, you know, form together to finally go to a, to a manuscript? Having posters is great, but of course, they are really hard to find. So I think in the end, all important analysis should also come to a, to a paper and not just stay in some, some abstracts and posters.
1: That's an interesting topic. So when you finish, you know, a a groundbreaking study, um, it might go to a conference and a journal, either sequentially or in parallel. And those should, in theory, present the key results of the study, and mainly the planned analyses of the study and their implications. And you want to get that out as quickly as possible for transparency, to inform the community, to get some feedback from the community, in addition and maybe in parallel to getting approval of a new medication. But those secondary pieces provide a lot of answers to questions that would come up in clinical practice or would come Mm -hmm. up from, from other stakeholders who maybe aren't making those key decisions about, is this drug effective and therefore you can market it? But exactly how does this drug Or this new medicine or this new device or this new surgical procedure fit into my practice? Which patients would most benefit from this? Which what is the risk benefit profile more thoroughly? How should I administer this to the right patients? How should can they take, you know, what happens if they go on vacation and they miss some doses? What happens if they have a surgery and they miss some doses? All of these kinds of things kind of fit into the practice of medicine and To the extent that we have data that we can analyze that would provide insights or answers to those questions, it's really nice to be transparent and provide that.
0: Yeah, completely agree. And I often get then, you know, see the pushback of, well, this was not pre-specified and that is just exploratory, things like that, where I push back and say exactly what you said. Just because you, as a sponsor, haven't pre specified something doesn't mean that it's not important for someone else. So, if there is a certain kind of endpoint that maybe you haven't thought about, that is something that maybe you're not interested in, but maybe, you know, someone, clinical physicians, is interested in, or <laughs> an HDA body is interested in. And so, they might not care about what you pre-specified. They want to understand their questions. And And at least
1: what you observed, right? I mean, so it's not about being, you know, always having to make causal statements about the results. Um, And we all understand notions of multiplicity and the importance of pre-specification to avoid bias. But the other side of the coin is being transparent about what you've observed. To be honest, reverse translation, which is coming into vogue again, is all based on unspecified post-hoc analyses that have some fairly big implications. And kind of the same rules are going to apply to secondary publications of your observations as they would to reverse translation to look for new opportunities in science. You take a risk, but you also take a risk when you don't look.
0: Yep. Completely agree. Okay, let's dive into the individual publication. So when you think about the different parts of the paper, Mm -hmm. is the input only into the stats part, writing the sample size and kind of how it was analyzed, or is there more for the statistician?
1: The savvy statistician will be a part of publication planning from the very beginning. Because they need to provide input into when the data are going to be available, so they are not slaves to someone else's timeline. They might want to be a part of the discussions about the objectives of the, of the publication, so they can weigh in when, on whether the objectives are consistent with or not consistent with the experiment or the data. And so I think this is a really nice way to collaborate with the other authors to make sure that uh, we end up with a publication that everybody is satisfied, meets their goals, and also the scientific objectives of publication.
0: Yeah, completely agree. The first step is publication planning, or maybe kind of and that. Of course, feeds into kind of the bigger bigger picture of how you do overall is your compound strategy and communication planning. But we'll mm-hmm. not go into these kind of things today. And you can, of course, also make suggestions to actually, you know, support this claim or this strength of your compound. Let's do these publications. Or maybe there's a certain side effect that our drug has that the others don't have. Mm -hmm. Maybe we should have a publication on that. And how often does it actually occur? When does it occur? What is the outcome to these? How is it best managed? All these kinds of different things. Yeah, And that's
1: a really important point is you can't fit everything into the primary manuscript or the primary publication. Yep. And there may be other important points that you do need to be transparent about or to provide additional context. And this is where the secondary publications play a critical role to clinical practice.
0: Yeah. So be specific about what goes into a specific publication piece and what doesn't. Because even though there's online appendices and all kinds of different things, you don't want a paper to be a data dump. And even more, not a poster to be a data dump, which I've seen far too often. But (laughs) just to get it published, we Mm -hmm. put lots of tables in there. So... What, but once we have done with, you know, the strategy, and we are clear on kind of what is in this post in this uh, publication, what's the next step there for you? So if
1: we have plan the strategy for a study, and we have our primary manuscript, and we have some potential ideas for secondary manuscripts, I think, again, it's worth making sure that all of the potential authors are on the same page with the Mm -hmm. key messages and and understand the data that needs to be presented. Because if you don't have those negotiations up front, the review process and kind of sign-off process is going to be much more difficult. As a statistician, you need to decide what's critical for you in terms of how much to disclose, appreciating that this is not usually a statistical dissertation. This is a paper for a medical community. And so there are some statistical details that might best be in an online appendix um, or read with a QR code or published in a separate methods paper that can be cited in your manuscript. And so I think it's important when you agree on what sections you're going to write and what sections the medics are going to write, you still keep in mind who is that target audience.
0: Completely agree. I love your point in terms of getting all the authors on the same page. If you're clear on kind of what are the three key takeaways that we want to have with this paper, let's say, and maybe it's it's four or five, but what is really kind of the most important story that helps immensely to get everybody on the same page? Because Mm -hmm. then you don't get into these sidetrack discussions Mm -hmm. where people think, "Well, actually, I wanted to have this in the paper." No, I -hmm. thought we wanted to have this in the paper. That can especially happen if you have these kind of placeholder titles or you know very very short titles. I've seen titles like, "Well, this is a paper about functioning," and of course that can mean anything and everything. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or this is this paper about this endpoint or this questionnaire that also can mean everything and anything so being very very clear on what you want to accomplish be clear on this goal makes a huge difference yeah it's like in our everyday life yeah if we are not clear on what we want to accomplish be it a meeting an email a workshop we'll not get everybody Mm -hmm. on the same page
1: Definitely, I think another important point for the statistician, in terms of getting everyone on the same page, is if there is anything tricky about the data or tricky about the methods. An example I often see is non-inferiority designs have an impact on what you can say and what you cannot say. It's good to kind of establish those boundaries, you know, at the outset, or you're going to be answering the same questions over and over again. And so, if you can set those boundaries early and in writing, and then have those to refer to when you get questions. It can make everybody feel a lot better, like they've gotten to understand you know, why, why there are certain limitations on what you can and cannot say, and, and why there are certain advantages to those limitations. You yeah. will really understand the context better if you set those expectations up front.
0: Completely agree. Okay, so now we have all the authors on the same page, they all understand what the data can say, what actually the data is, what you can say with it, what you can't say with it, what exactly the story is. What are then kind of the next steps for the statistician?
1: I think it's uh, really important for the statistician you know, to know what sections they're going to write versus what sections a medical writer, for example, yeah. might write. I think it's important for the statistician to consider how they're going to present the data in a publication versus uh, a CSR. We have a rich tradition in the pharmaceutical industry for making some very ugly tables and graphs (laughs) that are very consistent and kind of appropriate for a hardworking health authority reviewer and are not really formatted or appropriate for a medical audience that is not willing to study the data or study an ugly table. And if they have questions, go to the individual data all the time. I guess that's becoming more common, but, but really that is not the norm. And so you really have to think about what is the most effective way I could present these data in a table or a figure so that somebody could look at that presentation for less than 15 seconds and understand the message.
0: I love it. Actually, I've even, you know, used a specific figure as kind of the origin for publications. Where you start with, okay, this is our key results. This is our key figure that we want to convey. What do we need to What does need to go together with this figure to make it a paper? Because, you know, maybe it's two figures or three figures. Yeah, But what are the kind of key most important results? These figures will go a long way. They will mm-hmm. be copied into presentations. They will be copied into training materials. They will be copied maybe into even into sales material and all kind of other things. Making sure that you communicate your data effectively is mm-hmm. really, really important.
1: I think also, while well, in the context where you're trying to understand a particularly unusual result, the first figure you come up with that helps you understand the data might be something that's extremely detailed and it gives you the answer, but you have to study it for a long time. So once you know the answer, it might be time to simplify. And yeah. of course, we as busy statisticians might not appreciate the idea of iterating on the presentation of data, but we have to remember the intent here. We're not just producing results, we're communicating them so that they can be used in evidence-based medicine.
0: You know what I? What kind of picture comes just to my mind? Mm-hmm. It's the picture of cooking. You can have all the ingredients there. You can have the fresh vegetables, great meat and all the different things. But if you don't spend time on putting them into the right format, they will not taste. And it's the same here. You can have all the evidence, all these kind of different things in there. But if you don't spend time to format them appropriately, the readers, the listeners, the viewers will not appreciate it. Yeah, we'll just think like this is crap.
1: Definitely. And and I think, again, alluding to what we discussed a few minutes ago, one size does not fit all. Yeah. That's tough. But we do have to remember the difference between, you know, for example, that primary audience for, for health authority decisions, for example, is very different from different types of subsequent recipients of that research. And we need to make sure that it is accessible to those people as well.
0: Yeah. And it also depends on the on the channel. So a figure that you show on stage and where a opinion leader presents to and talks to is a very different figure to figures that you put in a paper, where people can spend fifteen minutes if they like to mm-hmm. look at it. And it's yet different to a figure that is put on a poster.
1: Absolutely. And posters are a fun topic because if you've ever walked the poster room at a conference, you know that you have less than 30 seconds to get someone's attention, probably less than that. And if they don't understand it at that first glance, and if you don't get them at that first glance, you're not going to, and they're going to move to the next poster. So it's really important to be clear, especially in that context of a poster. And of course, there is life for that research after the poster. But the whole point of presenting that poster is to start a dialogue, right? Yep. As with any publication, it's to start a dialogue. And so you want people to want to have that dialogue.
0: Yep. very good. I also really love to kind of start with the results part. And then once that is kind of clear, then I actually can write the the methods section and uh, include everything there, kind of what is pre-planned, what was post-hoc. And if there's not enough space, we'll put it all, as you said, in electronic appendix. And then there's these interesting sections, the introduction and the discussion. What do you think about these?
1: It's really interesting. So the writing of those sections is almost always handed over to a medic. And the statistician may think, oh, that's not my department. But of course, it is that it is your department, um, because the introduction, of course, sets up the context for the analyses that are to be done, you know, it sets up the objective of that particular piece. And, and obviously, then the conclusions really should align between the clinician and the statistical results. And so uh, that is not the time to disengage. That is definitely the time to re-engage and collaborate and have, if necessary, a healthy debate.
0: Yeah, completely agree. It's about kind of for the introduction, for example, you want to state why is that important? What evidence is out there? What does this evidence tell us? What doesn't it tell us? And there you can be the, the translator of this evidence and the curator of this evidence to, for the rest of the team. Of course, it's a collaboration, but you can play a role there. And for sure in the discussion part, One of the, you want to make sure that the conclusions are not overstated and also not understated, that there's a good discussion about the strengths and the limitations. How does that look in comparison to what is published out there? Why is your study different to a study that was done by, by another company, for example? And does that explain potentially certain things? If there's differences, do they, you know, bias things in one direction or the other direction? All of these kind of things, these are really, really important things you can put into the discussion part.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, again, depending on the statistician's level of involvement in that therapeutic area or in that study, they may not know all of the literature. And it's important to ask I understand that we can't read everything all the time, but it's important then to ask your collaborators those critical questions. Is what we found consistent with what others are finding? How are our conclusions different? I've even had the scenario where I found out that one of my co-authors had a similar publication on a similar data set, found similar things, but made an opposite conclusion. And that that made for a very lively discussion both among his peers and among the team they're publishing with him, to really understand what is this going to say to the community and how can we explain this in the discussion section in a way that is thought-provoking and credible.
0: Yeah, and of course, one of the other things that is really important here, if you write this conclusion setting, having the right wording is really hard. And it always be kind of a negotiation, a fine tuning. And don't put yourself in the situation where you're just saying the naysayer and just saying, no, we can't write this. We can't write this. Suggest so how you could write it. Absolutely. Um, be proactive. Be helpful. That will help you to be much more trustworthy as a, as a collaborator. And that will make things so much easier for everybody, including you.
1: Definitely. Definitely. And again, it helps to build that trust and that relationship with the key opinion leaders so that they're always glad to see you and work with you on a project. And that makes such a difference. It helps you as as a professional. It helps your company to have this reputation of, oh, there's somebody that that I really trust that's working on this. So it's good all around.
0: Okay. So... Once the overall paper is done, what do you do then? My kind of experience is that it is quite helpful to give it to a colleague internally first. Said basically to, to a stats colleague that reads through it and puts on the reviewer perspective. Is that something, you know, would I trust it? Is there everything in it? Because my... My experience is once you have worked on a paper for quite a long time, you get a little bit blind. (laughs) And so I always kind of felt like getting feedback from another statistician is really, really helpful.
1: Absolutely. There are different processes at different institutions for for how that works, but I would say definitely internal peer review helps make sure that if there are differences in interpretation, those are surfaced and considered prior to sending them to a journal. The editor of the journal or the reviewers may have the same comments, and so it's really nice to have at least considered them previously because then you can turn around on those questions from an editor or from a reviewer much faster. It always helps to have a second pair of eyes to say, hmm, I don't see it that way. Or, yeah. oh, wow, that's a really good point. But having both those kinds of feedback is really helpful before submitting to to a journal. And I, I hope that's a part of the tradition everywhere.
0: Yeah. The other thing is when you QC things and you want to QC the number, I really love when every number, when it's put in, or every figure that is put in directly comes with a comment that gives you the link to where, you know, where this was taken from, because it's so kind of nasty if you need to go through a paper in the end and you think like, this number, is that really correct? Where is it coming from? Was it the right analysis? Was it the right kind of subgroup? Was it the right kind of, you know, data cut? You know, all these kind of different things. Have some kind of good QC process that helps with these kind of transparencies.
1: Absolutely. And make sure that that happens uh, before it goes out the door, you know, one last look before it goes out the door, because uh, it's amazing with, you know, a lot of authors as there are on on many medical papers, how many uh, things can wander in at the last minute. And so it's really good to have one final check of the little details to make sure that they match outputs.
0: Yeah, that is actually kind of an art to to manage lots of courses, especially key opinion leaders. My experience there is that if you have for each publication, mm-hmm. one key opinion leader that takes the lead and that is agreed up front by all the courses, yeah, and they are happy that Mr. X is the first author, potentially, and, uh, you know, in the end, all the comments, ball stops with him, and he makes a final call, because you really don't want to get into discussions where there's three or four kind of authors that have conflicting view, and they kind of send their comments backwards and forwards by email, and you are there in the end to kind of decide, what actually do I have right now, yeah? It's much better if you have European leaders that, that helps you on kind of then solving these disagreements.
1: Definitely. Definitely. I think also, you know, the the ICJME, is that right? I might have the acronym wrong, but there a lot of the medical journals have a standard for who meets authorship criteria versus who yep. needs to be acknowledged. And I think that helps simplify some of the authorship discussions.
0: Yeah. And have these before you actually start worth of writing.
1: Absolutely. Particularly, you know, first and last author. You know, what's your take on where the statistician should be or should expect to be on different types of publications?
0: So first is it's important that at least one statistician is there as an author. Second is I don't mind if there's more than one statistician, but everyone should have, a you know, a meaningful contribution to it. Not just mm-hmm. because but number one figure is from me, that, that mm-hmm. doesn't make you an author. Then I think usually I don't care so much where the statistician sit. So mm-hmm. when I was the only statistician on it, I didn't really care. Mm-hmm. It's clear that I'm the statistician on it. Everybody knows what a, my contribution is. Generally, I think very key opinion leaders takes the first or the last position for various reasons. One is that, you know, Just gives more, very often more, more credibility to to the to the readers. But I've also seen statisticians being the lead or the senior author on something. But usually these would be more kind of secondary manuscripts, where there was something like a really kind of key methodological new thing or something really new, advanced was done. And I think you know one of the things is authorship is. Of course, it's also kind of a reward and a recognition, but it's also a responsibility. And so just because you've written the CSR doesn't mean you're an author. Because as an author, you also need to input. You need to work on it. You need to approve it in the end. And if you don't have time for that, then better step back as being an author.
1: Yes. Yeah no and I think it's really important no matter where your name is on the publication you should be able to talk about it you should be able to explain it you know often the the description is defended Of course, as a statistician, we always (laughs) like to explain it. Um, But again, I think your ability to explain it makes your contribution evident. And so in the old days, you know, in academia, maybe it was really relevant where your name was. I think now in these modern times, that's less important, particularly considering that you're the statistician and not the physician.
0: When I, for example, look into CVs of people that apply in my team, (laughs) I don't really care where they sit because I know... What the rules are and how that is done. For me, much more important is that you get a really, really good feedback from all the people that you work on this publication. Mm-hmm. So that you have built a really good relationship with the key opinion leaders that are on it, that you have a really, really good relationship with the primary medical writer that is sitting on it, the, the, um, the key internal physician. Scientist mm-hmm. that works on it. These kind of things. For me, when I think about these such publications, it was always helpful to have the main physician, the main medical writer, and the main statistician. Mm-hmm. These three people together and say, if they work closely together and drive things forward, things are so much faster and easier. Definitely. If, if one of them kind of steps out or is not really engaged, you usually have a problem.
1: Yes, it causes huge delays and and could even impact the quality.
0: Yeah, completely agree. So now we have submitted the paper. That's not the end. (laughs) Never. Now the famous journal Ping Pong starts. (laughs) So uh, what's your experience with peer review comments from the journal?
1: I think I have never... In my career, submitted a paper that has just been accepted on the first try.
0: I've won. I've
1: won. Okay, you have one of the of the hundreds. Yeah. yeah. So it's Not common. I think we need to expect that the journal is going to have questions, and that's an important part of the process. And for the most part, those questions have, you know, give you the opportunity to make your publication even better. And so you shouldn't view those solely as a burden, even if there are individual comments that you disagree with. And the the ultimate intent is to make sure that your publication uh, meets a certain quality standard and a certain um, interpretability standard. And so I think that's we need to understand that that's a normal part of the process. Of course, if you're dealing with a really top tier journal, the editors may expect a lot more deference to the reviewers' comments than other journals. So you have to consider how hard you want to fight back.
0: Yep. Pick your fights. Sometimes it's really good to just say kind of, we've taken this into account and we Mm -hmm. have changed the wording here, here, and here. And it now reads XYZ. Maybe it's not a big deal, but at least you have acknowledged these things. Mm-hmm. And very often, this kind of people will just go through it and say, "Have they appreciated what I said? If they do, and see that that very often kind of makes a makes a break." Of it.
1: Absolutely, and we just have to remember, like with any process that has feedback built in, you need to show that you've considered the feedback. There are going to be times when you get a rejection. Is that the time to quit? No, (laughs) no, it's not. Often that means it's time to try another journal that you didn't have your target audience just right. If this is the message that you wanted to convey, maybe that journal wasn't the right journal. For example, it is less common to have secondary publications, you know, based on post hoc analyses up here in JAMA or New England. You know, there are certain journals that just aren't that excited about secondary data. And That's okay, because as we've discussed, you know, the intent of those publications is to add additional context and transparency and your readers may follow you to another journal and that's fine.
0: Yeah, and be prepared for that. We, when I was doing a lot of publications, we always had a first and a second journal already kind of defined, which is our first target, which is our second, because for the first ones, you always kind of try to aim high. And so there's always a pretty big chance of you getting rejected. Mm -hmm. And so be prepared for that and take that into account in terms of your timelines and everything.
1: Absolutely. I think also a factor, you know, in addition to the prestige is how important is it to get the information out into a public domain? Yeah. And so, you know, during COVID, we saw a lot of preprints come out. But I think the other strategy in terms of journal selection even if you're you're considering various top-tier journals, is to look at which one has the fastest
0: review time
1: so that if you get a no, you can move on quickly.
0: Yeah, that is one thing. Or you just say, we want, you know, rather than having some more kind of prestigious journal, we want mm-hmm. to get it published fast. So mm-hmm. we go to maybe a second-tier journal where we have a much higher chance of getting it published directly. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that is that is really important. And then, you know, being on top of these peer reviews and getting them out of the door really, really fast is really helpful. I have very often kind of sitting next to physician and the medical writer, we would go through all the different comments and we would say, okay, medical writer takes this comment, physician takes mm-hmm. this comment, statistician takes this comment, and then, you know, you directly kind of get back to it and have it, have it done really, really fast.
1: Absolutely. And to everyone's satisfaction because it's a very transparent process and you kind of agree on the strategy. So it makes it a success.
0: Awesome. That was a great discussion about publication. We talked about why are publications important. We talked about the the roles they play in the, in the overall process. And even more importantly, we played about the role you as a statistician can play in this process. And that it's much more than providing the tables. You can be fully integrated from start to finish. Thanks so much, Jenny. Any final point you want to give to the reader or to the listener here? <laughs>
1: I think, yes. I just want to encourage statisticians to be a part, sharing the story of their work and to appreciate that not only are you contributing to science, but you are building up your reputation as an excellent statistician.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you. So, if you want to learn more about publications, if you want to learn more about the launch and life cycle, then just connect with me and let me know that you are interested. This show was created in association with PSI. Thanks to Rain and Casey, who helped with the show in the background. And thank you for listening. Reach your potential, lead great science, and serve patients. Just be an effective statistician.